0: Ladies and gentlemen, attention everyone Welcome to No Picks After Dark It's your boy Nick Burr And you are now tuned in to the hottest podcast in the world With Aaron Dante Giving you the hottest interviews with the dopest people Sharing their experiences from your neighborhood all around to the world Voted Best Baltimore Podcast by you, the listeners Now, your host, Aaron Dante Yo Aaron, talk to him Oh man,
1: that was beautiful
2: Welcome to the No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. I am so excited you're here with me today. Mixtape Volume 2 is back. We're bringing the, the summer heat because it's going to be a hot summer. They called the Roaring Twenties. We're back back at it. Volume 2. We're having brand new contributors. I can't wait for you guys to listen to them. Coming with that heat. I'm so excited. Last season was amazing. This is going to be even better. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you to, for everybody who told their friends Thank you for everybody who voted for Best of Baltimore, Baltimore Magazine, Baltimore Sun. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And this season is going to be amazing. This episode going to be Brooke Learman, state delegate. Oh, yeah. We come with the heat. Hey, folks. And, you know, my main man, comedian Ivan Martin's back. What's up, Ivan? What you got for us this, this season?
0: Hey, beautiful people out there in beautiful Baltimore and Earthland, what is going on? Happy to be back. My name is comedian Ivan Martin and I am back for another season as your resident comedian. I'll be hitting you left and right with fun antidotes and some informational stuff that's going on in the city that you might want to know about as well as laugh at at the same time. This year, we got some cool uh, things coming up. I got some nice information for you. We got the Baltimore Comedy Festival coming back 100% in person. Make some noise for that. And also, for the first time ever this year, the D.C. Comedy Festival will be running, like, right after the week. So the Baltimore Comedy Festival starts september the 1st and it'll end september 6th it is at various locations throughout baltimore and baltimore city and the dc comedy festival will be starting september 13th so please be sure to stay tuned and check out both websites baltimore comedy festival and dc comedy festival as well as google my name and comedy central watch some fun things with me telling jokes with kevin hart you know nothing special you know what i'm saying and also you can catch me doing fun antidotes on comedy central as well you can check me out at black planet no i'm joking you can catch me on Instagram. Facebook, comedian Ivan Martin. And if I keep on having fun with you all, I promise I'll stop acting a fool in the streets and establish a real TikTok.
2: Visit your neighborhood sanctuary and do wellness for a luxurious experience for everybody. Treat yourself and a loved one with a massage, facial, or an entire day of pampering with our deluxe spa day packages that include lunch from the restaurant next door, fire and rice. For more information on booking or purchasing gift cards, visit their website at unduewellness.com or call at 443-438-4048. They look forward to welcoming you and your loved ones to their beautiful new space at Soha Union, located at 4801 Harper Road, Suite 1. What's going on, folks? Aaron Dante again in this new segment. Have you ever had a confession? confession folks so i saw this thing on instagram and i was like oh wow confessions thursday i like this now i reached out to the person who runs it i'm like i want you on the show you got some dope content so without further ado miss laurel how are you doing today all right aaron how are you doing cool i'm excited that you that you're going to be contributing to the new no books of dark podcast tell people a little bit about you and confessions thursday
3: yeah, sure. So um, I uh, grew up mostly in Maryland. I grew up uh, outside of Frederick in a little town called Myersville and um, moved to Baltimore after college and uh, fell in love with it and then moved away to Seattle for about five years for grad school and um, felt a call to come back for a lot of different reasons that maybe will come out over confessions <laughs> over time or another conversation. Um, but I'm so happy to be in Baltimore. I've been back since 2017 and um have settled in the right on the cusp of Abel and Better Waverly, which is one of my favorite, favorite spots in the city. Um, and I was walking my dog and um, passed by the Waverly Library and was like, oh, I have never, I've never been inside there except to vote. Like I've, I've never gotten a book from this library. And there's, a, there's a lot of reasons why, but I was just like, I feel, I feel I got to tell somebody this, like, will other people have minor confessions like this, where it's like, oh, like, here's just a thing that I, I realized is true, that like, I don't necessarily need to tell anybody, but might be interesting. And, um, and, you know, and there's, there's great, like, great uh, secret telling platforms like post secret, but that's usually very deep and vulnerable. And I was like, this is just something lighthearted that like, maybe someone else has had something similar. So I asked if anybody else had any minor Thursday confessions. And I got a lot of, a lot of people said things like, um, you know, from pretty minor stuff to, I've had also some like pretty vulnerable stuff as well, but um, it's great, you know, and it just, it's, it's kind of fun. It gives me sort of something to look forward to on social media, which can often just be a black hole of in, the internet, you know? And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm pumped to, to be doing this and share a little bit about myself with, folks I know and also just know from the internet and then also learn more about the folks that I'm connected with online.
2: Well, I appreciate you because it's a leap of faith. We spoke yesterday. She had never listened to the show, but she had a leap of faith like saying, Hey, you got, I'm sure you got some good stuff here. And I appreciate her taking that leap of faith in me. And so thank you so much. And my confession today, I hate social media.
3: and yet this is how we connected. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so folks, uh, where can we where can we where can people find you for Confessions Thursday um, besides, you know, one here?
3: Sure. Um so I do have a private Instagram account which I I do on purpose so that I know that people who are following me are real and um not creeps or bots or whatever, but my Instagram account is rest on your laurel, but it's rest.yr.laurel. So um, you know, normally people advise you not to rest on your laurels, but I'm here if you need a little break.
2: Love it. I love it. At Fishnet, every plate served starts with the freshest, high-quality fish, sourced from local waters whenever possible. You get fine dining excellence delivered in a cozy, unpretentious, fast-casual setting. Delicious does not even begin to describe it. Everything I've tried is made from scratch and incredible. The best fish I've ever had. Check them out for lunch or dinner at Mount Vernon Marketplace. Get caught in the fishnet. You'll be glad you did. Menu and details at eatfishnet.com. And folks, you know, I'm very excited with a new contributor to the show this season. Uh, you know, I met her through a family friend. and She's been bringing nothing but the heat. Her podcast is fire. Her book is fire. Folks, without further ado, Ms. Chamyra Fleming, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, Aaron. How are you?
2: Hey, I'm blessed to have you as a contributor this year. You know, this season, I really wanted you on, and I'm glad you made time to contribute to the show. So let people a little bit know about who you are. You're part of Charmsey Collective Media, but tell them about you. It's about talking about yourself.
1: Absolutely. Hi, everybody. As Aaron said, my name is Chamyra E. Fleming, but you can call me my my, I'm the host of the podcast, The Purple Charm Experience, and on that podcast, I share with you my journey as an author. Um, I also share a motivational quote, my sip of the week. If you're into Prince, I should talk a little bit about him, too. So I would invite you to join me each Wednesday when I drop a new episode. I also uh, have two books. Um, they are romance novels. Um, it's called. They're called... Um, the Violet Rose, and Threes of Charm. So um, I'm looking forward to contributing to the show this, year, this season. And I hope that you all would check me out. If you want to know more about me, please visit my website, www.creativeconferet.com, where you can find out about me, my books, my merchandise, and more. So thank you, Aaron, for the opportunity.
2: Hey, I can't wait for you to bring the heat, the jewels, and gems this season. So, folks, be on the lookout, check out her website, check out her book, check out her podcast. Everyone's there, right? The No Picks After Dark Podcast is proudly partnered with Remix Bar & Grill. Located at 819 East Pratt Street, just north of Harbor East, Remix is a sports bar offering a sole food menu. With over 20 TVs, pool tables, outdoor patio seating, and private rooms, Remix is set up to be your premier downtown destination to watch all your favorite sporting events. Open from eleven a.m. until eleven p.m. Monday through Thursday, eleven AM to twelve AM, Friday and Saturday and eleven AM to ten p.m. Sunday. Check out Remix Bar and Grill on Instagram and Facebook under at R Y M K S for daily, happy hour specials and weekly events. Remix Baltimore. And welcome, folks. Welcome back, folks. Uh, again, I'm your host, Aaron Dante, from No Picture of Dark Podcast. And again, we have a special guest again. And she was a contributor last season and she just crushed it. And I was like, I need you back on the show. You do bring back so she dropped jewels and gems. I was like, I-, I need you back on the show. I had to beg her. I was like, I know you're busy. I just need one minute or two minutes of your time in the whole 96, 170 hours a week, there is. She said, yes. So I'm thankful to have Miss Amber Wetland on. How are you doing today?
3: I'm great, Aaron. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back.
2: Oh man, I'm excited because it's a brand new season and I'm, I'm happy you can hop on with us. So what things are you going to be bringing to us this season?
3: So I'm excited. I know I'll be doing kind of some short bursts of interesting stuff. And um, as you know, my background's in architecture and urban planning and design. So I love cities. And so um, I'm going to be sharing some uh, cool things that are happening in Baltimore um, related to urban planning and some stuff over on the east side, stuff on the west side, some small projects, talk about transportation. Um, but I also hope to kind of bring in um, some other influences from um, cities across the, the world that are doing really cool things that Baltimore could also be doing. So. Um, hopefully just kind of dumping some cool ideas and sh- and sharing things and getting things out there for people to start thinking and,
2: and I'm so excited folks this is, she's gonna be bringing jewels gems a fire I can't I'm so excited like I said I mean and then we didn't say one thing she's Maryland top 100 women. We got we got we got to put that out there we got we got to show give people their props as they would say the young people say that or they said that i don't know what the young people say but i say props. yeah well,
3: who knows what young people say i don't anymore. know what they say. That, but <laughs> top
2: 100 women in baltimore maryland okay. congratulations
3: thank you so much aaron
2: That's a- the no picks after dark podcast is fueled by zeke's coffee have you tried their coffee yet i'm telling you there is something different about it Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, carryout, and delivery, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Harford Road. Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. Or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com and you too can be fueled Welcome to the No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today, we have a very, very special guest on the show. I'm so excited. I am so excited. Again, I was telling people earlier, I had to swim. I had to go through the harbor. I had to take a plane. But we got somebody coming to Northeast Baltimore. I I call Northeast Baltimore Disney World. So I appreciate... You coming out over here and hanging out. So without further ado. My pleasure. Everybody, who's, who's in the show? Maryland State Delegate, Brooke Lehman. How are you?
4: I am great. I am thrilled to be here in Northeast Baltimore, where the streets are beautiful colors, just like in Disney World. Um, and everyone's smiling on this beautiful, sunshiny spring day. So it's great to be here. Um, I'm not that far from you down in Southeast. so, um, But always happy to be here, and thanks so much for having me on.
2: I always like the joke. I always like the joke of everybody when they come up this way. I'm like, you came to Northeast? <laughs> we're not we're not the sexy like Fells Canton uh, Federal Hill. But you know, but we I like you coming up here. I appreciate you oh, taking yeah. time out Happy today. To. Coming out here and hanging out with us. It's everybody. always
4: fun to come to Zeke's. Uh, uh, Shout definitely. out for Zeke's. Shout out to great Zeke's. Stuff.
2: Zeke's, thank you so much for having us here. This is gonna be a great episode, folks. Um so let me give an intro real quick. Brooke Learman is elected state official from Maryland. Who has served the 46th district Maryland House of Delegates since 2015. She was elected in 2014. Uh, she's out of, one out of three in the district of that's covering that district. And her neighborhoods touch all the water neighborhoods and some more. They touch you know Fells, Canton, Federal uh, Federal Hill, Locust Point, uh, Greektown, Town, uh, Cherry Hill, Cherry Hill, Westport, Westport, Westport Brooklyn, 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 Curtis Bay. You, you want not
4: get <laughs> <laughs> Patterson Park,
2: <laughs> Patterson Park. Everyone. You can't name
4: them all. You get in trouble because always, I always miss one. So I just say all the neighborhoods Literally. that touch the water. Literally. Little Italy, Little Italy, downtown, forget. the yes. port. Yeah,
2: can't forget about those. Yep. So again, thank you so much for coming up to Northeast Baltimore. So thank you so much for coming north on the No Pixie of Dark podcast. This is really cool.
4: It's my, it's really my honor, my pleasure, best of Baltimore podcast. Really delighted to have you. We were really excited to feature you, right? Uh, we did a Black um, uh, Black History Month where we featured a different uh, small black owned business every day. And you and I were connected by a mutual friend who happens to live in Salisbury, right? The small state um, and was just delighted to be able to feature you. And to be able to be on here and support you, and you're just doing great, great work. So, thank you.
2: I'm, again, I'm honored to have you here. I mean, I'm, again, your being here is amazing. Again, even being on this, like for Black History Month, thank you so much. Of course. To you just giving to your audience what businesses are out here and things that we're doing. And I really appreciate
4: uh, that. It's my honor.
2: So, okay, we're going to get into this. We're, this is your show. Here we go. Here this we is, go. This is not my show. This is your show. You came. <laughs> we're going to make this happen. Okay. So, tell people. A little bit about you let's let's start you know i did my homework did, <laughs> you know i do my work before i do these right. but you're not from maryland originally oh. that's, that's what i've heard
4: <laughs> i hear you're from right the next door i hear you're from the go-go city <laughs> i am from the go-go city <laughs> the home of uh, ben's chili bowl there you go i um i like to re- remind my constituents or tell my you know folks i am um, i'm not from baltimore but i got here as fast as i could and Yes, no, I was born in D.C., uh, and, uh, and then it, we moved to Bethesda, to Montgomery County when I was in middle school, and uh, went away to college and AmeriCorps and worked on campaigns, went to law school, so away for quite a while and then found myself, found a way back. Found a way back home um, and, you know, was very intentional. I really wanted to move to Baltimore. Um, it just appealed to me a lot for a number of different reasons and found a clerk, got a federal clerkship. And since, and then after that, I've been working in a great law firm for the past 10 years and now very proud to represent the city.
2: That's cool. I mean, I tell people all the time, you know, I was born in Baltimore and I left at a young age. And then I ended up in, up, I lived in Dallas, Texas for a little bit, Ohio for a little bit, and then ended up in upstate New York. And, um, you went to Dartmouth in the very cold weather. Very cold. I think I can beat you in that, actually. Yeah, it's I went cold to Syracuse. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still only Syracuse. still only you came out in August and September. Yeah. I think yeah. you need to see the sun again until, no, until May. Yeah. So I definitely get that. And then you were down in the University of Texas, correct?
4: I went to UT for law school, spent three years in Austin, had a wonderful time, You know, learned a ton, was able to work in the legislature, um, volunteered for a sexual assault clinic, um, and uh, did the housing law clinic, criminal defense law clinic, just had a wonderful experience at ut law school
2: yeah Br- brisket or ribs brisket
4: okay all right I all right Brisket. I gotta get, okay i gotta go <laughs> although i have to admit now i'm a vegetarian <gasps> oh yeah i know hey i get it i, I don't know it. if i if i i don't think i could be a vegetarian if i lived in texas oh, but
2: no, no. here it's easier <laughs> it's a little bit easier a little yeah. bit easier so that's really cool so you law school yep Law. i mean was that something Why? that was always yeah. no 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 just law just curious like what about law that really appealed to you. I always think of Perry Mason. I think of the law. Like he always came at the end was like, I got, I got you. And you're like, that's really cool. Was there anything that like led you to that path?
4: No, it's a great question. I, you know, when I was younger, I liked to argue a lot. Now I have a three-year-old daughter who likes to argue with me a lot, and I feel bad for what I put my parents through. Um, but no, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I grew up, you know, when I was growing up. There's no other lawyers in my family, and um, my my mother's a nurse, and my daughter went, my dad went to, actually had his degree in urban studies, or urban planning, um, and has worked in politics and on the hill and whatnot. But I... Um, When I was at college, I started, worked with some friends to start a mentoring program. Um, And we worked with kids who lived in a public housing development just a couple miles away from Dartmouth in the very rural and very poor upper valley of New Hampshire and Vermont. And we called the program Dream because we wanted the kids to Dream big, right, mm. and to like reimagine what their lives could be like. And um, I'll never forget this one time, or I guess it was our sophomore year, which was the first year we started the program. We fundraised and we took the kids down to Boston for a day. There's like middle school kids, and we went to get on the escalator, um, you know, for the T, what they call the subway, and a few of the kids were like wait, we're not getting on that thing. What is that thing? You know, I mean, they had never seen an escalator before, right? Like they were totally, it was a very, it's very isolating, this kind of rural poverty. And what I discovered, right, was that these kids though, they were amazing, right? They were so resilient and they were so smart in their own way. And so, but they needed an advocate, right? They needed somebody to, Um, you know, to help be a mentor, to help show them a different way, to really believe in them. And I loved working with them. We then turned that program, my friends, um, into a nonprofit called the Dream Program. So it's gone strong. There's a dream program at every college in Vermont and New Hampshire, and now there's ones in Boston and Philadelphia. So we got to get it down to Baltimore at some point. I love it. Um, But I've really learned about the power that, like, one person can make in another person's life, um, if that makes sense, and how to be an advocate. And after that, my journey... um, I was then, um, I started working on campaigns. So I worked for a man named Paul Wellstone in Minnesota who was up for reelection in 2002. And he was all about grassroots organizing. You know, he'd been outspent eight to one but in the first race that he ran when he won. And he's just an amazing person who unfortunately died in a plane crash a week before the election, but you know, voted against the Iraq war, voted against welfare reform, like just really stood up for what he believed in. And he always said, he had this saying that I still carry with me today, we all do better when we all do better. Mm -hmm. Right, which I remind my constituents, like Mm -hmm. Federal Hill will never be all it can be until Cherry Hill meets its full potential. Mm -hmm. Like all of our communities are connected. So um, I guess long story short is I loved advocating for these kids and I loved advocating, um, you know, working on campaigns as I worked on um, Howard, Dean Can's, Howard Dean's campaign and Kerry Edwards. But what I found was that I really wanted to work with people. And the further you got up in politics and campaigns, you didn't talk to voters anymore. You just, you talked to consultants, mm-hmm. and nothing against consultants, but I wanted to talk to people and help them solve problems. And to me, law school was a way to do that, to like have a tool That could help somebody else and really be a way to help fight for the underdog. And that's, I will say, I feel incredibly blessed and really fortunate to have landed at the law firm that I landed at in Baltimore. Um, I'm at Brown, Goldstein and Levy, and it's, you know, a, a law firm downtown. And we I've had the honor of representing, you know, like when the, do you remember the ESPN zone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when that closed, I rep- I was one of the lawyers representing the United Workers and the workers there mm. who, um, Walt Disney Company violated the Warn Act and didn't give them enough notice. And we won, and we won them benefits. You know, I represent other low-wage workers all over the state, wrongfully convicted uh, gentleman who served 21 years for a crime he didn't commit, mm. got him um damages. Um, uh, we've been housing discrimination cases and I represent a number of people around the country um, with disabilities, particularly blind um, people and who are deaf or hard of hearing. So I just, I love it. It's amazing work and um, I've loved being able to represent these people and I have learned so much from them right over the years. So it's been amazing. That was a really long story about how I became a lawyer, but that's no. It.
2: No, no. <laughs> so I always tell people, it's all about storytelling and how you can tell a story and get people. And, uh, like, I'm literally, well, every word you're saying, I'm, I'm jumping like, Thanks. wow. I'm listening to it because you said a couple things that are really highlighted that I wanted to tell you about. Uh, you talked about the one guy who said, who passed away. Yep. And he said, all of us together.
4: We all do better when we all do better.
2: I tell that all the time with yeah. my podcast. I have a group called Charm C Collective Media.
0: Oh. And mm-hmm. it's
2: seven different podcasters. And I said, let's get together. We're better as one. Yep. Yep than individual
4: yeah you buttress each other
2: right and you can help each other we can bounce the ideas of each other we can learn from each other and that's what it's all about to me yeah it's learning and doing and i love that you're working with the work the people that don't have a voice sometimes the voice unheard like mean the workers who needed help when disney just left right that's huge right and that's fighting for the people and that's what it's all about
4: yeah and i will say you know what's often fascinating is that like it's not that they don't have a voice like they have a voice. Right. It's that nobody's listening to it, right? I've done a lot. I did a lot of... Um before I ran for office, I represent, I worked with the community law center a lot. I did pro bono cases representing, uh, community associations all over the city in liquor board cases. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I will say the liquor board 10 years ago was very different, looked very different than the liquor board today. And mm-hmm. it was not community friendly. And, you know, I represented these communities who were, they had a voice, right? They were trying to make their neighborhoods safer and better. And they just kept getting turned down by the liquor board and it was really frustrating to me because people weren't government wasn't listening to their voice okay. um and i mean ultimately that's part of the reason that i ran was i felt like i want you to have somebody who listens to you and will you know act on that and that's
2: what we're about to get into right now yeah there we go
4: That was a great lead in. thanks
2: the no picks after dark podcast is proudly sponsored by maggie's farm located at 4341 hartford road Maggie's Farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-watering cuisine from falafel to scallops and everyone's favorite honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m., Wednesday through Saturday, and serving brunch Saturday, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., with delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more check out Maggie's farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials as well. So what made you want to run? Cause I, I always ask politicians this, I'm like your whole life is like open at this point. You are an open book. How do you feel about like disaster thing? Like when you told your family friends, I'm running for office. we What? go take a walk us through that.
4: Sure. Um, you know, it's interesting, I think, for a lot of women who run for office, like, we need to be asked or told that this is something that we could aspire to. And I will say, I had a number of um, mentors and um, supervisors over the years who said to me, you know, someday, if the opportunity ever presents itself, you should consider this. And I was like, yeah whatever. Um, and I But I loved being involved. But I will say, what ultimately made me run was I had just encounter after encounter with state government mm. um, that was – not the kind of government that I was brought up to believe in, right? Like, I am a big believer that government should be dismantling barriers, um, you know, eliminating barriers and creating opportunity so people can reach their full potential. And my experience when I got to Baltimore was, in some ways, the opposite. Um, so my first uh, my first day of work on my clerkship, I had you know done the research, planned to take the number ten bus down Eastern Avenue to get to the courthouse, right? And I went to stand um, on Eastern Ave, not far from Wolf Street, which was where our house was. And the bus just didn't come, like, and I didn't know what to do. So eventually, you know, I got a ride from my husband. And eventually, I just um, I realized I couldn't rely on MTA to get me there on time, and so I started walking. You know, I was really frustrated at all the empty tree pits um, and started 3-1-1-ing them all the time. You know, it was the mm-hmm. wreck parks bane of their existence. Um, and, and then I started looking at schools. My husband and I were looking at schools. And, you know, what I learned, I looked at, you know, the water fountains. Like, if you just go into an old school in Baltimore and you look at the water fountain, like, chances are you will see a sign that says, don't drink the water, right? Because mm-hmm. there's lead in the pipes. And I had gone to this, like, beautiful new school. In Montgomery County, and it had never, like, I had no idea that this disparity existed until I was here and looking at schools. And I will say my son now goes to Hampstead Hill, which is our zoned public school, um, you know, in uh, in southeast Baltimore. And we love it and we're thrilled for it. Um, But like, I just couldn't sort of believe this. And then working, doing these cases in front of the Liquor Board, that's (laughs) what really I was because, you know, the Liquor Board members and the law was all state law. And I just felt like everywhere I looked, I was being confronted by problems that were the creation of state government rather than the state government actually solving them, right? Like MTA, state agency, um, tree pits, empty. We were not getting nearly our fair share of program open space dollars, schools, totally underfunded schools, liquor board, appointed by the governor, and uh, you know all state law. And so ultimately I decided to sort of throw my hat in and run because I felt like there needed to be somebody, um, or or somebody else who was really focused on these community level issues and being a voice for the community at the state level.
2: So this is, so were you grassroots, how you started everything off? Like far as when you ran?
4: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, we, I knocked on 14,000 doors. Um, my neighbor, my volunteers knocked on another 20,000, um, held dozens of coffees and house parties you know sometimes they'd be five people sometimes they'd be 20 you know and you never knew when you'd show up but people were awesome and you know really gave their time and dedication and um you know and we won uh, it, it was really exciting and um i'll never forget one of the last doors that i knocked it was in the riverside neighborhood um this woman said to me if you work half as hard as my state delegate as you have running to be my state delegate you will be the best state delegate i've ever had wow. and i was like i promise you i will i will do that <laughs> I, lo- I love that. I love that story. I love good. it.
2: So when you got in, I mean, when you won, how did yeah. you feel? Like you now, you are like a state delegate for Maryland, like the forty, like a huge <laughs> right. district. I mean, your district's huge. Yeah, it's really big. So like how, like, like and how really did you diverse? Feel? Yes, yeah. it's very diverse. I mean, when you won, I mean, like, take us back to that. Yeah.
4: So that I remember you
2: saw your name yeah. flash on the on this TV screen. Yeah.
4: Well, I actually remember I was sitting at a. um I spent election day um, up at William Paca, which is one of my favorite uh, places to stay because it has, it's just a huge, it's a huge polling place and a really diverse polling place. Mm -hmm. So you just see people from all walks of life coming in and it's just awesome. It's really fun. And then I went back to where our team was meeting um, to see election results come in. And I was sitting at a, uh, on a bench at a picnic table. And I got a call um, from somebody who was at a Cherry Hill poll telling me that I had won in Cherry Hill. And I was like, I don't understand, and they're like, no, I was like, you mean today, or early vote, and he was like, no, no, you won, you won everything in Cherry Hill, and I just, Cherry Hill was so important to me, and I'd spent so much time there, um, I just put my phone down and started crying, (laughs) Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I remember it really well, and, but honestly, after that, then I felt like, Oh shit! Right, right. right. It's real. There's no instruction manual, you know. And but I, I You know, I try to be a delegate. Like I campaigned. You know, I am totally accessible to my constituents. I will have a meeting with anybody who wants to meet with me, or a phone call with anybody who wants to talk with me. I try to be, um, you know, present as much as I can. um, Despite the fact that the district is huge, you know, this past year during the pandemic, that meant you know even before session had ended. Because we had a you know a shortened session last year when the pandemic started, I was you know still in Annapolis, and I got a call from somebody in Brooklyn saying, "Hey, they just put up where all the food is, and there's not a there's not food at a site in Brooklyn. Like, what's going on? I'm calling the city." You know, figuring out how to get more food availability in Brooklyn, you know, while we're still voting on the budget and passing things. Like, but they know to call me, right? And that is, means something to me, right? I'm happy that they know that, like, I'm going to go to bat for them, um, and that I've got my community's backs. Um, so I love it. Uh, you know, it's been a thrill, um, and uh, and and really, like, it sounds cheesy, but it's an honor. Like, I love the, you know, I love that, I'm, it's amazing that people are, have put their trust in me and um, and want me to be their representative. It's um, these past seven years have been um, both more challenging and more rewarding than I could ever have imagined.
2: So go, going back a little bit, your freshman year, yep, in session, yes. What committees were you on, and what were some of the things that you passed when your first your first session that you were like? This is, this, this is real, this is real like I mean and like to give us walk us through a little bit of. That.
4: Sure. So I was, um, I was assigned to the Appropriations Committee, which is great. It's where I wanted to be because I you know strongly believe that our budget is a values document um, and that where you put your money is is you know where you put your priorities. So I was happy to be on the Appropriations Committee. It's also the committee where we do a lot of government oversight. so we oversee the, the agencies and of course we had a Republican governor then for the first time in eight years. And so you know we were doing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> to see what was going on, you know who he was appointing, what policies they were putting in place. Um, I- I don't want to totally misstate this, but I think at some point, and I heard from somebody who was an O'Malley um, sort of leftover from the O'Malley administration, like pinging me and saying like they're taking climate change off of all the websites, like you know, like it was it was pretty surreal. Um, but good to be in the Appropriations Committee to sort of look at and understand why we were getting why we we're being so underfunded in our schools, how underfunded our parks were, you know, just understanding better the levels of disparity and inequity for. Baltimore. um, And I passed one bill that session. um, And it was brought to me by a constituent. Um, Actually, he called me and he said, hey, I, you know, I applied for family medical leave. I asked my, you know, I went to my company. I said, my dad has Parkinson's. I want to be able to take care of him. And I'd like to use my family medical leave, the, the state leave, not federal. And they said, sure, just put it in writing and request it. And then when he did that, they fired him. Yeah. So you would think that retaliation was not allowed under state law. And in fact, it said in state law, you know, you cannot be retaliated against for using your state leave. But there was this loophole, the court, he litigated it and the court held, look, there's no, there's a loophole because it doesn't say you can't be fired for requesting to use your leave crazy loophole right Wow! so i didn't know how to pass a bill but i put this bill in because i just thought come on like this is ridiculous this is clearly not what the general assembly intended um and it passed i i was really excited um so it passed through the economic matters and passed it out of the senate so that was the the first bill i put in and the first bill i passed
2: wow folks we'll be right back up pipe wrench is a new online magazine you'll find links to conversation pieces playlists essays poems and more by folks from all walks of life responding to the ideas, the main feature. Each issue is like a dinner party full of thoughtful, fascinating people inspiring each other to build on each other's work, references, and ideas. You can read more from Pipe Wrench and subscribe online at www.pipewrenchmag.com. And we're back, folks, and uh, again, I'm delighted and honored to have the Maryland State Delegate, Ms. Brooke Lehman, and she, I mean, it's, it's awesome to have her here from the 46th District. Again, she took an Uber up Charles Street <laughs> and then took an Uber across Northeast, but uh, I'm, t- I'm joking around, but um, again, it's just, it's, I'm glad that you came up and just uh, get a good introduction of who you are. And you guys, if you guys have missed the first part, you better go rewind because she's throwing some jewels and gems. She's throwing a lot of fire out there. So again, thank you so much for coming on the No Picture of Dark Show, and thank you, Zeke's Coffee for having us here live. And just really appreciate the Zeke's having us here. So let's talk about some legislation. Let's sure. Let's talk about that. Let's do it. Let's talk about some things you've done. It's your show. Like I said, it's always your show. I give, give you the mic. What, what legislation, what's going on? Tell me things that you've worked on, things that you're really happy about this past. Sure. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, um, a few different things I'm happy to talk about. Um, you know, first, I'll um, gun violence, right? Really? Um, it's been... Um, you know, really plaguing our city for uh, decades. And um, you know one of the things that I was really interested in doing after the uprising was really understanding more about what worked and what didn't. Um, and I represent Cherry Hill. and we'd seen in Cherry Hill sort of no violence after the uprising. and for the year before that, um, not a single homicide. And, you know, if you know what Cherry Hill was like decades ago, it was very different, right? And um, we credit that to a lot of the work of the Cherry Hill CDC, of course, and Mike Middleton, but also to the Safe Streets program, which is phenomenal. So I really started researching um, evidence-based, public health-oriented gun violence prevention programs. You know, that's ROCA, ceasefire, Um, safe streets, hospital-based intervention programs and looked at the research and what we've seen from around the country is that those programs work. You know, when implemented appropriately, they work. And so I worked with advocates around the city and the state and Senator Carter and others to create the state's first gun violence prevention uh, fund and program. And it's called Maryland VIP, Maryland Violence Intervention and Prevention Program. So the Maryland VIP program. Um, And we are one of now only six states in the country that have this program at the state level to fund. Local efforts to prevent gun violence. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't been funded appropriately. <laughs> um, you know, story of a sort of my <laughs> life. Um, but we did just pass legislation. Um, Senator Carter and I worked on to override the governor's veto to guarantee three million dollars a year from the state for that programming now, and to bump up. And of course, Delegate Branch had sponsored um, uh, you know funding for Safe Streets, and so we now ha- do have some more money. And President Biden just announced huge announcement that there's going to be hundreds of millions of dollars for these evidence-based gun violence prevention programs. So really excited about sort of the gun violence prevention work because um, it just needs to happen. But even before you get to that point, right, let's talk about how you get people to be upwardly mobile. We know that the single strongest factor in the odds of escaping poverty is commute time right which is great like it's just not what you would think of mm-hmm. um, and of course we know that the longest commute times in the city are from places like sandtown winchester right mm-hmm. so part of that is that our transit system is just totally subpar and um it has been starved for years um and i um have you know i as a champion of the red line i was on the you know citywide red line um committee and, That was a devastating blow to to lose that. Um, But since then, I've been working with advocates and um, now Mayor Scott and Senator Cory McRae, and we passed, Senator McRae and I worked this year um, with Mayor Scott to pass the Transit Safety and Investment Act, which is guaranteed capital funding for MTA. So over the next few years, they'll be able to replace their buses. In fact, they're going to start replacing their buses with electric vehicles. So we'll have less pollution in our city streets, right? They're going to be able to have the funding that they need so that our buses and our subways and our light rail doesn't break down every day, right? Basic stuff that we should be doing better. Like it doesn't have to be like this. (laughs) So transit, I've been, you know, that's a big passion of mine. This year, I worked over the past year in the pandemic on broadband issues, right? I was just in Brooklyn last week. Um, talking, uh, to celebrating that some cell towers going up um, to help, or not cell towers, but Wi-Fi towers going up to um, to do free Wi-Fi. But broadband's a huge issue. And we were one of the few states in the country not to have a state office tackling the challenge of ensuring that every person in the state has access to affordable, high-speed internet and a device, right? So I'm really excited. We passed a bill this year to create the Office of Statewide Broadband. Um, and we funded it uh, thanks to leadership with $300 million dollars huge Um, and amazingly you know mayor scott who's been a real leader on this just appointed um, a digital equity you know director uh, jason Hardebeck, who's fantastic and helped with this bill we passed the bill this session the governor signed it the next day and it was an emergency bill so it went into effect as soon as he signed it so we now have an office of statewide broadband that is working with local leaders our education systems our libraries to get people connected Um, finally i'll just mention community development so you know, I um, I sometimes wish that rather than going to law school now, I would have. I'm glad I went to law <laughs> school, but I also wish I would have gone to school for like urban studies or community development. You know, mm-hmm. because so much of what I'm interested in is really about how do you do inclusive, equitable community development in a way that doesn't displace families, but offers them opportunities for homeownership. Right. Mm. So many of the programs that we have are about creating rental housing which is fine but as we saw during the pandemic like you know we're in this rental eviction crisis right, right. and we how you build wealth in America is through owning your own business mm-hmm. or owning a, and or owning a house yep. right Correct. and part of the racial wealth divide that we see in the state and in this country is because there's lower rates of of business ownership and home ownership among black marylanders and that's a huge challenge for everybody in the state i don't you know everybody should care about that and want to solve that problem so um, I've been really interested in how we solve some of those issues and do the community development work. And over the over my time, I've done a lot on, um, you know, on I passed budget language to require DHCD to create an affordable housing needs assessment so that there is a plan for creating more affordable housing around the state. And this past year, Senator Hayes and I Senator Antonio Hayes. So I should say, when I got elected, Antonio Hayes and Corey and I all entered together. Okay. It was a little triumvirate. I like and I was that. very grateful to them for their guidance. And um, But then they left me. They yeah. abandoned me for the <laughs> Senate. <laughs> they left me in the House. Um, um, but they're still great friends. And I sponsored bills with each of them this year. And so Senator Hayes and I passed a bill um, to create a funding program to stem um, to the appraisal gap. So often what happens is you'll have like a nonprofit developer um, want to come in, like Bree Jones at Parity Homes or Sean McCloskey um, at Rebuild Metro, who they want to redevelop, you know, in a way that they can keep prices affordable for the people who live there to own a house, but it costs more to rehab a house or to renovate an old house, like one of these beautiful old, you know, homes oh. in East or West Baltimore and mm-hmm. Brooklyn, um, than it than they can sell it for. So they can't make the numbers work. Right. And like, even if you're a nonprofit developer, like at some point you have to be able to make the numbers work. Right. So we passed a bill to create a state fund and program totally dedicated to filling that appraisal gap, um, to help make this development work. The second part of that bill was to do a disparity study. We know that there are, I mean, we all know there are huge racial disparities in the real estate industry. Like it, it just, it, it exists. Like, you know, the fair housing act passed in 1968, like, it may have outlawed, you know, some forms of uh, de jure discrimination, but like de facto discrimination has continued for decades. And so we passed this bill, also um, with the, under the leadership of the speaker, um, calls for a disparity study to be done on racial discrimination in real estate. when we do that disparity study and we demonstrate that this racial discrimination continues to exist, then we'll be able to pass bills that target that discrimination. Um, So those are some of the things that I've been working on. Really excited about them. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, I love trying to bring bills that solve big problems Um, and will really start moving the needle. And I think some of these efforts working with other people and nonprofit and advocacy partners and small business owners around the state do that.
2: Well, thank you so much because I know a lot of people are like, what do they do up there? Yeah. <laughs> I voted this person in, but I don't really know right. what they do. Right. What laws are passing, you know? And I love what you're talking about, disparities and just getting housing and fair housing. I mean, it happens all the time.
4: Yeah, it does. You yeah, know? It happens all the time. It I mean, does.
2: You know, you can get the same house that's, it's funny, you get the same house that somewhere else costs way more. Right. Than somewhere else, the same, same house, same yep. area, square foot, but it's area. Yep. Where you're located so yep. that that's really important i like hearing about that and then there's one more thing before we go into another subject sure that came up that was really big that it was national news that maryland did first and that was about police oh police reform, reform. of was, course i had Huge. friends yep. call me from california yeah florida i'm like
4: Dude. we're on the view <laughs> oh, okay. will no, be mentioned we'll it be on mentioned the view it. so yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah.
2: so, what? Tell us a little bit about that, and
4: yeah, that and was an incredibly important effort, and you know, really led by our speaker Adrian Jones, um, Senator Jill Carter, who's been a champion on these issues for years. Um, you know, Senator Ferguson, um, Delegate, my good friend, you know, Delegate Vanessa Atterbury from Howard County um, led the work group over the interim Delegate or Senator Will Smith, um, who chairs JPR. Just many hands doing really important work on police reform. We passed a number of bills this year. Um, so, first and foremost, we repealed Ober, right? The Law Enforcement Officer Bill of Rights. We repealed mm-hmm. Ober and we replaced it with a, an accountability system that really centers um, city, it's citizen led um, accountability system. Um, and so, you know, I encourage folks to go check it out. HB 670, really important initiative. Um, we also passed bills like Anton's Law, um, and Senator Sidnor had a bill, and others that make sure that um, police can't hide, you know, when they do something that's mm-hmm. wrong, that their records um, are are subject to the Public Information Act. Um, and I really believe in transparency, and, you know, when you're a police officer, you um, have a higher duty, right? It is a higher duty. You are you are given police power um, that is really uh, you know not other other public officials don't have that, and so you have to be held accountable for your actions. Um, so we passed that. Also, no knock warrants. Um, mm-hmm. Made sure that we eliminated um, all no knock warrants except for a very small subset of them. Um, Body worn cameras. Um, now every police um, uh, district or every police. Uh, uh, Sorry, I'm losing the word. Every police station in the state will have to have body-worn cameras um, in a few years. So we passed a number of important initiatives. And I think, yeah, like you said, I think really led the nation in some of this work.
2: Where would police um, officers or districts or counties say they have no money? is there money that's coming from the state or federal level that's given money to, to use cameras? Are they helping them out a little that bit? That
4: is a good question. That was <laughs> part of the debate. Is that some of these small counties are like, well, we look, I think what matters though is, you know, I think, uh, I think the state and, you know, maybe the federal government will help in some circumstances, but if something's a priority, you figure out how to fund it. Right. You know, and I think it has to be a priority that, police everywhere wear body worn cameras, um, for everybody's protection, Correct. you know, and I really think that this police reform bill will save lives. These police reform bills will help save lives and will help ultimately improve relationships between communities and the police.
2: And one more legislation question. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't on this bill. And I've had conversations with a lot of people about this. And this is what this, why is it Maryland? This is crazy. So Maryland, so you have New York state, you have New Jersey. we
4: talking about marijuana.
2: You know where I'm going. With yeah. that. You know, <laughs> yes. see, I knew I knew you knew where I was going with this. We have we're, Virginia. Maryland, Virginia. We're a very everybody says oh, Maryland's a progressive state. Hey. Everybody tells me that, hey. and I'm looking at New York, New Jersey, Virginia, yeah. and we're stuck in limbo. And it wasn't even brought up in session, which I kind of no. Don't, it, was. Was it was. It was okay. So
4: Delegate Lewis uh, help us out
2: with that because yeah, there's so many. I have some things about that because I, I yeah I see. Business owners who don't look like me, who, yeah. s- who sell marijuana.
4: Who are doing very well.
2: Lucrative businesses. Right. Okay, I Medical know what they're doing. And, right. Yep. I get that. I get it. A lot of people are in jail for yep.
4: that. Yep, okay. 100%.
2: We can go down the rabbit hole, but we're not going to go there. But what I'm saying is no, it has why pay- isn't that something that. It's not on the forefront. No, I guess I'm, I'm curious. Yeah,
4: about that. it. I. I don't know that it's on the forefront. Not on the forefront. I think. A, I will tell you. I got more emails about decriminalization and regulation of marijuana than many, many, many other topics. Um, it is something that people want, and I want it. I've been co-sponsoring bills that other, you know, for legalization of marijuana since my first session. Um, so Delegate Jazz Lewis, um, Senator Feldman, they brought legislation this year. Um, that was really comprehensive. I think, you know, we all want to do it right when we do it. We don't want to do it how some of the earlier states did it, Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, people who had low-level drug crimes stayed in jail and, um, you know, the black community didn't, weren't able to sort of reap some of the rewards after being penalized for decades. Um, So I think, you know, we want to make sure we do it right. Delegate Lewis has a, has great, had a great bill that made sure that there were investments in the right communities that looked at how you were giving out licenses and a way to incentivize, you know, small business development. And not having like a McDonald's of marijuana come in and get and take up everything right um, so there's an it, there's a way to do it right I am exceedingly hopeful that we do this next year
2: yeah only, um only reason why I bring yeah. this up because I was in California recently and I'm like yeah this is like I mean you know you I walk in dispensary I'm like no I'm with you what is going on like yeah. why can't Maryland which is yeah. a place so we'll that's something we'll talk next episode about no, and, it, and I will tell we'll you I just
4: I, I do on my I do little Facebook lives every once in a while briefings with Brooke and on April 20th on 420 I had Delegate <laughs> Lewis on to talk Good. about <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, marijuana and uh yeah and so it was uh on Facebook live but he's yeah no we have to do it absolutely I'm 100% there
2: okay so that we'll, we'll get away right from that so world kitchen
4: Oh, World Central Kitchen. World in the yeah, Kitchen. They were yeah, here. It was really exciting. So how yeah. did I, how did it all happen? Sure, yeah, um, that was really exciting. That was um, so you know after the when the pandemic started, the General Assembly ended early for the first time since the Civil War, and I came back to Baltimore and immediately had a thousand things to do. You know, people were hurting, right, right? and. I needed to be in and working with my communities. And, you know, there was unemployment. Everybody needed their unemployment, and our system was completely broken, and that was a mess. Um, But then there was also food. (laughs) People needed food, like immediately. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the mayor's office was doing, and Tisha were doing yeoman's work, like really trying to stand up food sites. Our school system, Dr. Sanalisa's, like, they turned on a dime, right, to get schools open again to be food service sites so that people could go pick up meals. But we needed more, right? And I think, um, so so I happened to see that World Central Kitchen was serving meals at National Stadium. Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, come here. Right. You should be in Baltimore. <laughs> so I uh, I sent an email, um, you know, to to World Central Kitchen, and they called me, and I walked them through sort of everything I knew about what we were, do- what the city was doing, what city schools was doing, like where I thought the need was, um, and what you know what was happening around the city. They asked me to introduce them um, to the you know city hall, which I did, and to um, Dr. Santa and the food team. They came up, they toured a school, they understood how it worked, and then they committed, and they. Brought brought, um, they adopted 12 schools where they served 20,000 meals every week um, for free, totally free to city schools, you know, free to the city. And then we instituted the, um, the food drive or the food giveaway at Camden Yards. Mm. Um, so every Saturday they would give out, um, you know, 75,000 meals at Camden Yards. So people would come in, we'd give them a bag of food, they drive through. Um, it was really amazing. And I feel like it was like a really, I mean, Jose Andre, Chef Jose Andre has, it's just trans a transformative power in the food industry. Mm-hmm. Um, the other neat thing they did was lots of people don't know about, um, they connected with with me, of course, and then with Kwame Rose, um, mm-hmm. because Nate, the CEO, knew him from being here before, and we connected them to several restaurants around the city, just small, um, independently owned restaurants, um, and they then paid the restaurants to make meals that then the restaurants gave out for free to community groups. Mm -hmm. So they would give them to Casa de Maryland or um, you know, different CDCs in Brooklyn or East Baltimore or West Baltimore to give out. And what that did was create like sustain the food system. Because when the restaurant was paid this living wage for the food, they kept paying the suppliers who could pay their staff Mm -hmm. and pay the farms and they paid the restaurant workers, right? Who could then keep eating and support their families. And then also food got out. So it was a a really innovative and important model for I think how to think through doing food sustainability, sustaining our food systems writ large in the future. But that was really exciting, yeah.
2: Wow, I love hearing that. What did you learn about yourself and the job you did during the (laughs) pandemic? Like what did you learn? Like, I mean, it was a learning curve for a lot of people. Yeah. Where, Cause, like what was the biggest concern constituents constitu- constitu- would call you up about? What was like was it the food mostly about food or was it like unemployment? Was it rent, about unemployment? Rent like I mean wh- what'd you learn about this whole experience that we have gone through for a year now?
4: Right. Um it's it was easy to get frustrated when I couldn't do more. I guess with you know, I would The unemployment system was so broken. It -hmm. was really, really difficult. And, you know, to me, it seemed so obvious how to do this. And yet our state had been so, you know, our state agencies have been so cut to the bone and Mm -hmm. underinvested in, um, they just couldn't keep up. You know, there was no resilience because this administration has just whittled them away, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I would be so frustrated about that or, you know, I'd see and want to do something on housing or, you know, support our, you know, our immigrant communities were decimated because they weren't getting any of the federal benefits. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that was really hard. I don't know. I learned, um, I learned that I need to be, um, doing things all the time, (laughs) but that sometimes I also need to, uh, sometimes I need to step back too and listen and, um, really be present for my family too. Um, I was, I was overworking sometimes too, I would say, because I just felt like it was such a desperate situation. At one point I finally was like, I need to just go for a walk every morning. And so I got up early, way too early (laughs) because I have a three-year-old and eight-year-old who get up very early. So I'd get up before them and I would (laughs) go walk to Patterson Park and walk back just to like try to find some peace in the morning. Um, but you know, and I helped organize a bunch of community schools. They were all sharing information. I worked with Cherry Hill and Elevate and, you know, but it was, um, it was a lot. I think everybody felt really tested, and it was just a. It's been a really, really challenging year for every almost everybody I know. Um, so, I agree. Yeah. I
2: have um, I have a two-year-old, and, oh. and I have a seven-month-old. Oh my and, god! And let me tell you, <laughs> you
4: were in the thick of it. Oh, <laughs> you're uh, not getting much sleep. <laughs> oh, no
2: sleep, no sleep. I mean, I would get up in the morning. Girls or boys? Two boys. Two boys. And I would literally get up in the morning time and yeah. ride my bike around. Um, Licking Montebello. Oh,
4: nice! And That's just fun.
2: clear my head yeah. before work, and it was just weird having work and home merge together. Yes, oh, and it was just a lot totally. going mentally. because you just couldn't yes. separate the two. Oh,
4: I agree. And it's unhealthy. It is. It is. It it's is. not good for us.
2: Nobody. Yeah. I mean, I, I we you know it's it's it was it's tough, and luckily you know I've gotten through it, but it was tough. You know, I couldn't like, like anybody else. Couldn't see my parents.
4: Right. Couldn't see my, yeah. you know,
2: loved ones. And no,
4: it, my mom was in, a nurse, in an assisted living facility, and I, it was just, yeah, it was just so hard. You know, she has Parkinson's, and I couldn't see her for yeah. so long, and it just felt so unfair. I don't yeah. know. It was
2: definitely a different time we it's lived really today. tough. So yeah.
4: let's. Anyway, yeah. We're going
2: to go on. So something really cool happened. So it was 2020 at the yes. end, correct? Towards the end. Yep. You had a big announcement. <laughs> and I remember hearing this on the news, and I was like, hmm. And I was like, okay, Peter Francho was going to run it for governor, and somebody's running for controller. Yeah. So, again, to my audience who are just listening, what was that big announcement? I don't want, I, this is your thing. Yeah,
4: so I announced in uh, late December that I was going to, um, yeah, run for comptroller. Uh, and uh, Peter Francho is moving on, and I think we have this really unique opportunity in 2022 to really reimagine what the resources of the office of the comptroller and the state comptroller can do for the people of Maryland to really help build more financially resilient families, uh, small businesses, um, uh, communities, to really, the comptroller's office is the place where we can really tackle the racial wealth divide, where we can focus on income based issues. And, you know, I, I saw this saying once that I love the pandemic really taught us, I think, that we are all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Mm. And, you know, people came into this pandemic with, you know, boats that were full of holes and leaking and, you know, then other people came in with ocean liners, right? And so Mm -hmm. I think that we have a lot of work to do in a post-pandemic Maryland to make sure that we're focusing on pocketbook issues, that the comptroller is leading the way and working with nonprofits and advocates and the assembly and partners to really ensure that moving forward, we are building more financial resilience in this state and that no one is left behind.
2: Wow. Wow. Because a lot of people don't know what controllers do. They really Nobody don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And like I said, and you announced it very early. Yep. And again, I saw some other people from Montgomery County, Prince George's County, that are putting their own hat in the ring. Mm-hmm. And again, another another journey, another journey, another test. Yeah. Are you excited?
4: I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm really excited. Somebody, I was on a, I've been doing all these virtual meet and greets, and somebody the other day said, I love Brooklyn for all these reasons, but mostly I've never seen anybody as excited about what the state controller does. (laughs) And I am. I mean, I think it's just this really extraordinary position. Right and we have this amazing opportunity in 2022 to really be bold mm-hmm. about what that office can do and what it can do for everyday working people what it can do to uplift uplift communities you know what it can do to help Small businesses, black-owned businesses really thrive and grow following such a dev- devastating time. So I am really excited. You know, tomorrow um, I'm driving to Salisbury. Mm. Um, I am, you know, getting around the state to meet people. I'm excited to have the support of many of my colleagues uh, in the General Assembly, including Senator McRae and Senator Hayes, my friends. Um and just excited to be all around the state and get the opportunity to work with people everywhere, not just in District 46.
2: Folks, I uh, just gave you a little teaser because there's going to be a part two of this. We're going to really, <laughs> we're going to really get into that. We're really going to get into what it's all about, and we're going to ask those hard hitting questions later on. But this, uh, again, so this is the favorite part of my show. I love you, and I know you were sweating through the episode. I call it rapid fire.
4: Rapid fire. Here we go. Okay.
2: What inspires you every day?
4: The people I represent. Um, yeah. The people I represent and what they go through, and how they put one foot in front of the other. And not only that, that they like dig in. You know, they some of them work in two jobs and they still find time to lead their community associations. Or, um, you know, in Cherry Hill, there's this one woman who's always running activities for kids, even though, you know, she has a lot to deal with. She's always like, Brooke, we got to do an Easter egg. Brooke, Brooke we got to do a Halloween thing. Brooke, we got absolutely like I'm there. Yeah. I support you. So the people that I represent are totally inspiring to me.
2: Your favorite author.
4: Um, My favorite author. Um, Who is my favorite author? Um, uh, So I would say the best, my favorite book that I've read in the past few years is The Warmth of Other Suns. Okay. Um, And I just got cast, so I'm excited to read that. Um, But I will say my favorite author when I was a kid. (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay 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 we can go well, there i'm
4: trying to think of who my favorite author is now my favorite author when i was a kid was a woman named ellen raskin who wrote a book called the westing game okay um and it was this crazy little mystery and i read it over and over and over again and i can't wait to read it when my till my kids are bigger so i can read it to them
2: see me mine was c.s lewis i liked oh, yeah. and the Wardrobe. that was my That's fantasy a, that world. is really good that was my world yeah. then. and then when the movie came out i was like yeah
4: yeah i'll yeah. stick to the book yep
2: your favorite musician
4: my favorite musician, gosh, I go back and forth. So I always love The Boss. Okay, um, uh, okay. and But I'm a big... Um, I love a huge variety of music. Um, you know, everything from... Um, I can always listen to some Rhythm Nation 1814, which has stayed with me <laughs> since middle school. <laughs> I got you, I got you. Um, but I also, like, my one of my theme songs is Whitney Houston. Okay. Um, Love Dolly Parton. Okay. When I was in Austin, listened to a ton of indie, you know, Ooh. so. Yeah.
2: There we go. I like that, I like that. Okay. Crabs or crab cakes?
4: Crabs. Done.
2: Okay, okay, okay. Flats or drums? This is always the mystery question. This is always the hard-hitting one right here.
4: I'd say flats.
2: All right. Blue cheese or ranch? Boot ranch. Oh, see, we got in there. See, yeah, you know what? Sorry. See, that's that. See, up north, cheese. we do blue cheese. We <laughs> oh, do blue. I can't do blue cheese. <laughs> yeah. What is the best advice you've ever received?
4: It's the best I ever. Um, never separate the life you lead from the words you speak. Gotcha. That was, uh, Senator Wellstone used to say that. And I think it's not something that is easily done. Okay. Right? But it's something to aspire to, sort of. Be consistent.
2: Nice, nice. And where can we find you your contact FO? Are sure. you on TikTok? Look at all the all the cool uh, kids are so doing. I are... am
4: not yet. So <laughs> I actually say I am on TikTok, but I don't post anything. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just watch like what my <laughs> nephews post and cool food re- you know recipes and um, but I I am on everything else. Uh, okay. you know, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Brooke Brooke Learman, um, Brooke Learman for Maryland on Facebook, and my website is just Brookleerman.com.
2: It's been an honor. And pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. I appreciate you thank coming in. We will do this part two, folks. We'll definitely have part two. Awesome. And we'll have a roundtable discussion. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd thank, be great. Thank you, folks. Have a good one.
4: Thank you. Take care.